Hello, my name is Suzanne, and I've been a friend of Terry for a number of years. A video posted to news and social media outlets show an American man of African descent, George Floyd, being handcuffed and then held down for over eight minutes by a police officer kneeling on his neck. These videos showed four police officers taking a series of actions that violated the policies of their department, and these actions and inactions resulted in the death of Mr. Floyd on May 20th, 20, 25th, 2020. This horrific event was viewed by millions across the globe. Thousands took to the streets and cities across the country and world to peacefully protest this terrible and senseless killing. But in the process, there have been additional deaths, businesses damaged, and hundreds hurt as the outrage grew, fueled by tensions from a global pandemic. And also a deep anger at the violence that is often directed towards people of color. Curfews were instituted to help manage the crowds. And in recent days, the complacency of the American public has been challenged with increasing pressure to remove monuments dedicated to the Confederate States of America, to rebrand food products, to rename buildings, and to continue to correct the narrative of racial inferiority. To follow up, Derek Chauvin, who kept his, man, his knee on a man's neck for at least a minute after he was dead, has been charged with second degree murder, and his three colleagues who stood by and did nothing have been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. They have all been fired. Here's a question. Is what we are experiencing now different and in what way? In an election year, it is very tempting to try to make this discussion political, to look for the quick fix. But we will try to stay away from the politics of the time. This is a societal issue. People in our country are dying, are being persecuted, are being refused service, are having their lives threatened, are growing up in a system that is set up to diminish the very essence of who they are, and this has been happening for many decades. It is so tempting to try to place blame and point fingers, but we are all responsible. We are all to blame. We need to approach this problem by putting aside our biases and looking to ourselves. Listening and learning, being inclusive rather than exclusive, asking questions and being understanding in our responses, acknowledging what is happening and the role we play, being very uncomfortable when sitting with someone's truth, and most importantly, owning that discomfort. So is this new awareness of the issues truly a movement or simply a moment that will fade? We can hope that the movement towards equality and freedom is finally on solid footing. And we believe the key to sustaining any movement is by educating ourselves and taking the next right step, putting aside feelings and focusing on facts and truth. We are often not cognizant of what goes on in the life of someone who is described as black. And today we will hear from Terry and hopefully get a sense of his view, his life and his thoughts on where we go from here. So Terry, what are your thoughts on everything that has transpired over the past several weeks? 
And is this different? Hi, Suzanne. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on, on the things that have been going on over the past few weeks and months. Um, one, I think this is something that's been a long time coming. I'm really, I'm really surprised that in some ways I'm surprised it's take it's been it's taken so long, but in other ways, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be, but but people are really tired of this. And and it's not just in this country, but as we've seen the protests that still continue around the world. And it's it's taken a a man losing his life being filmed for 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 it to really hit home for people. And this is what people, black people, African American people of color have been we've we've been dealing with this for a long time. And and no one's paying attention. And it wasn't until it was right in our face, on our TV screens, on our on our phones, computers, that it, it's finally getting people to realize and and wake up. One thing I'm surprised about is that you know, it ha it was, you know, the, the response, the protests and and the riots, too, that um, I, will, I will say a lot of the rioting had nothing to do with what was going on. But uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been worse in some ways. But the, the good in this, I think, is for me personally, it, it has really told me or shown me where some people's values are and where their hearts are, really. Because even in the in the middle of this, the most uh, heightened part of it, uh, you saw people who were far more concerned about property than the fact that a man has lost his life, or yeah. about the lawless acts of the rioters, but no concern about the lawless act of the police officers who were charged with protecting and serving our lives. No, no concern about them taking someone's life or the many other lives that have been taken. So it really lets you know where people stand. Um, your social media, all it's good and bad. I, I think that it has provided yet another avenue for a lot of cowards to hide behind their, their actions and words. Uh, I have I've probably unfriended and unfollowed so many people I've, I've lost count now, honestly, because I, there's no place in my life for that. And if, if that's how someone feels, uh, they have the right to their opinion, but uh, they don't have a right to be a part of my life anymore, just to, to be honest. Uh, you ask if this is different. I think it is. Um, and, and one thing that shows me or, or makes me feel like it is because this, this caught on nationwide and worldwide quickly. And again, I think because it, it has just reached a boiling point and people are people are tired of this. And and I do think there is hope. I think uh, you look at the people who are in the streets marching, especially our young people. And it makes me feel old to say that. But um, <laughs> for for all the uh, the grief that that our millennials take uh, a lot of times unfairly, I, I think that that's our hope that's going to be the change because I, I really hope that their generation doesn't have to deal with things that even my generation has had to deal with and and certainly not the generation of my my parents and grandparents 
So I think there is hope. Um, and I think it lies with, with that group and it's time for, for us older people to start looking and listening to them. Yeah. You know, I can hear the emotion in your voice, Terry. And for those of you who never met Terry, he's a very calm, even keeled, uh, man. And this is, I think something that has touched him in a way or touched you in a way, Terry, that, that nothing uh, else has. And so it's, it's one of the things I'd like to follow up with getting more specific is, can you talk about your childhood and growing up in North Carolina? And um, maybe we can tie it back in to what's happening today. But I think it would be interesting to get your perception on race and color growing up in a small southern town. Yeah, well, growing up, um, I, I, I grew up in a small town and in the town, you know, thinking back was was very, very segregated. Uh, we had, you know, there were there were black neighborhoods and then there was the rest of town, as most people people saw it. So the neighborhood I grew up in was all African-American, you know, all my friends in the neighborhood. Um, but of course, you know, going to school, that was back when we went to neighborhood school. So we, we had to go to the closest school, which was predominantly white. Um, right. One thing that, you know, thinking back on my childhood, my parents told me um, or taught me that, you know, I should love everybody. We're all God's children, treat everyone equally, love everyone. But you know, when I left home and went to college, the thing that I wasn't prepared for was the fact that not everybody loves me. And, right. and that, that also made me reflect on, on things that happened while I was growing up that, uh, that I knew even as a child didn't feel good, that I didn't understand what it was. You know, I, I, obviously there's these physical differences you see with people from different races. Primarily it was white and black. Uh, you know, to the different skin colors, there there were some differences I was aware of as far as ethnicity goes when you start talking about culture. But, you know, at the time, my my young mind didn't wasn't sophisticated enough to understand what that was. You know, it would it would be comments I would hear among family members of, well, we do things like this or they do this. And, you know, I never really understood that. But, you know, I was I was a child. In. So right. I, 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 I shouldn't have, but um, you know, fast forwading as to to an adult, um, you know, race, color, ethnicity to me, it's a very heavy weight. Um, it it's something that makes me very cautious of every person I meet because I have to fill them out to know are they going to accept me because of of the color of my skin. And, and I am a very quiet person. I'm an introvert, um, which doesn't mean I'm shy. That's a whole nother conversation. That's, that's kind of a, a, a simple minded assumption that people make about introverts. Um, right. But uh, I, I am very cautious about people, especially people, well, especially people of other races, just because of my experience and the things that I have seen and things that are still going on in this in this in this country, and so I've got to make sure: one, are you okay? 
And, and two, I also carry a burden of feeling like I have to put people at ease because it's almost this assumption or expectation that there's something aggressive about me because I'm a black man. And that, that's a, that's a heavy burden to carry every day when you go out into the world. Um, you know, and, and to constantly be defined by how you look and, you know, the, and the color of your skin, that's, that's something that it's, it's hard to explain, but it is, it is something that's very emotional and it's, it's something that is just it, tiring and at times can be debilitating because you can't shed this, you know, this is who I am. Right. And, um, and I think fortunately for, for this, at this point in my life as, as a, um, cough, cough, middle-aged, middle-aged person, um, I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of apologizing. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of putting people at ease. So if I make you uncomfortable, that's about you. That's not about me. Right, right. I, I, I hear, I hear that. And there are lots of people though, who, who argue that racism doesn't exist and, and they don't perceive themselves as being race driven or even aware they're colorblind and all of the other um, phrases that people and everybody trots out when they're confronted with a discussion such as this one. Um, and because of who you are, you're very successful. You have numerous college degrees. You're very well-spoken. People will hear you say what you just said and say, but Terry, you really have never dealt with racism. You may feel uncomfortable, but, but that's just you. So could you talk about some of the experiences, direct experiences that you've had so that, that we're all more aware of what it is you do actually deal with sometimes on a daily basis. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, you know, I, I could list, make a list of things, um, probably a mile long, but. Which is uh, horrific yeah. in and of itself, but <laughs> yeah, go ahead. It is. It is. Uh, I was born in 1975. So in, in the, as far as the history of this country and race relations wasn't that long ago, and neither was civil rights. Uh, it's been, you know, the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 64 hasn't been that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But um, as a child, the KKK marching in my hometown was a common occurrence. Um, that in itself for a child can be traumatic. Not just and not understanding exactly what that is. Um, but that's that's a scary situation. Uh, I can I can think about situations in in elementary school with with people who claimed to be my friend and and maybe they were maybe they really felt that they were and this was you know the best they had to offer but i remember having friends touch my skin and wipe their hands off and i don't know if they were afraid my brownness was going to rub off on them or or what um or, or comments that were always prefaced with uh, no offense, but black people, blah, blah, blah. Or this doesn't apply to you, Terry, you're different. No, I'm not different. 
I'm black, just like the people you're talking about. So, you know, those kinds of comments. Um, I remember there being a, a person who I was good friends with in high school. Uh, we had several classes together. We were in band together and these kind yeah. of And she was on the homecoming court and needed an escort. And she kept asking me about different people who I thought might would be. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever, go ask them. And she finally says to me, well, I really want to ask you, but you know what people would say. And I say, well, what do you think they would say that your friend is escorting you or or what? Um, You know, fast forward to college and when Tracy and I started dating and, you know, and that's that's a whole nother angle on on the race relations because she is someone who is of mixed heritage who doesn't fit in a a, a single world for herself but she was kicked out of an apartment because she was dating me and actually she didn't even get to live there she was moving in i was helping her move in and the person uh she was renting from saw me there helping her move in and told her she couldn't live there if she was going to have me around um you know i i come to the triangle area for graduate school and um for those of you know me know i went to unc so i can't hide the place where this happened but i had a fellow african-american graduate student who was an assistant this this didn't happen directly to me but but kind of she she was a graduate assistant to a professor who was holding this, this symposium one saturday and of her three or four graduate assistants uh, she had the couple of white graduate assistants participating in the meeting, and she asked the black graduate assistant to serve coffee. Oh. This, this is at the University of the People, okay? Um, in, my, in my current position, uh, I was at my one of my busiest locations, libraries, and I'm walking in, going toward the front door one day, and this elderly lady sees me come around the corner and she stops and she grabs her purse and pulls it close to her and turns her body away from me as I walk by her. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this happens. I'm the deputy director of the of this library and I'm walking in to go see my staff. And I mean, this happened. This was just within the past couple of years. So in Durham. In our, in our liberal bubble, yeah, and we can Europe. assume you were. We can assume that you were well dressed and, and you know, not looking like like um, a, a homeless person. Whatever your color was, this was in a business environment. Right, middle of the day. Right. Yeah, middle of the day, bright, sunshiny day, and but that's that's the kind of thing that can happen. It, no matter, no matter, no matter your education, no matter where you are, no matter how you're dressed the skin outweighs anything else. Yeah. 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 I wonder on a larger scale, Terry, we have to acknowledge the politics of racial equity. So even with reform, passing laws, removing statues, I mean, as you mentioned, the civil rights act was passed in 1964 um, which really is not that long ago. This is 20. This is many, many decades later. 
um, how do we move towards change? How do we move towards um, a place where people are not judged by the color of their skin, where we are people who feel just people who feel empowered to walk outside and and not be judged? What's next? I, I think it starts with something that, that goes... You know, way back to 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 slavery, really, and the 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 mindset, or, or and the and the fact that mm-hmm. that African Americans, Black people, people of color, were not seen as human beings. We were we were legally seen as three fourths of a human. And this was after some. This was after a voting in our in our nation's government. We were seen as three fourths as human. So even before that, we were less than that. And the property of of slave owners, you know, our names were listed in catalogs along with animals and property and you know land and those kinds of things. So we were not seen as as human beings. And whether we want to admit it or not, that mindset still carries over and 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 people whether they realize it or not because you you know now with the the current you know the the black lives movement you know I, i feel like we we are avoiding wrestling with what it that the the humanity of people of color because we we hide behind um you know, we throw back all lives matter or blue lives matter. Well, nobody's denying those things. But correct. if you can't simply understand why we have to say black lives matter, um, that, that to me, that's denouncing the humanity. And, you know, or, or people making comments like, well, if you just obey the law, the police will leave you alone. Well, you know, everybody gets pulled over for a traffic violation. It, it happens regardless of what color you are. But the difference is the the chances of me dying from that simple act are far greater than for a white person who's pulled over by the police officer. And that, those are the kind of things that people... Right they either don't want don't understand or don't want to understand and and but you can't deny those things happen because we see it we we've seen a man die on tv because of a counterfeit 20 dollar bill so what that says so what that yes. says is that that's it's, what that's all his life was worth or or even less than that because it wasn't even a real 20 dollar bill Right. Right. So, right. you know, I, I should I should be able to have an encounter with the police that are here to serve and protect my community and not fear for my life. Like if I'm doing something wrong, then we need the police there to to correct that situation or to get people back in line. We need the police. It's not about getting rid of the police. And I don't even think the, the defund the police is about getting rid of the police, but it's about. It's about our priorities. 
It's about respecting every every life. And, and it not be that, that your race is going to determine whether you walk away from an encounter with a police or that, you know, somehow the, the color of your skin is going to dictate the, the outcome or, or, you know, what I'm, I'm starting to ramble now, but. Um, right, right. But, but it's, it's interesting in that what I feel viewing that incident is a certain level of terror and i think there's a fear that everyone has yeah that that could happen to them do you know and i i don't think it's i don't think that fear is is engendered because of their um skin color although i think it's heightened in people who have a darker skin color people who are considered black or brown but everybody sees this person go insane and, 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 you know, kneel on somebody's neck until they're dead. This is a person in authority. And I also respect the police. So I'm not asking a question about, about um, you know, whether the police are trained well, et cetera, et cetera. That's another discussion. It is, I think, this has engendered a terror in people that, honestly, I don't think we know how to deal with it as a society because it is so um, in our face. This is something, that incident is something nobody can look at and say right. that is justified. Right. Nobody. So, and, and I have not heard anybody say that, but I have heard people tap around the discussion. Uh, but what I see is a, a level of fear that um, I think maybe does give us a little bit of hope, like you say, that the young people are beginning to realize that, that, that change needs to happen. So one of the things that you and I have discussed um, in the last couple of months, um, while all of this has been uh, churning in society is mm-hmm. individuals knowing themselves. And, and so one of the, the, the aspects is how do we move towards change and how can we begin to get people to understand others right. and understand themselves in the process? Yeah. Do, you, do you see what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's almost like a catch-22, but I believe that knowing yourself and knowing your bias, knowing where you are coming from uh, in terms of what are my opinions, what are my beliefs, how do I process information, how do I um, uh, perceive the outer world, is, is that something that, that you think can help us move towards meaningful change? Because I, I think that the key is for individuals right. to take ownership. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, I think yeah. one, one first step is, is we have, that people have to start, start listening, like to make that change, you got to start listening and start truly believing that like, this is real. This is not something that, that, that black people are making up. Um, 
So one, you have to accept right. that and be willing to, to listen. And I don't know, I think of it as you got to get your head out of your ass. And, and that probably comes with, with all things, right? You just got to, <laughs> yeah, you got to, you got to, you got to do that. that. Um, yeah. You know, cause if you often hear, well, I'm, I'm not racist because I have a, a black friend, but why aren't you willing to to believe your black friend when they say these things happen to them? Like if your black friend called you up and said, hey, Best Buy is having a 75 percent off sale, you would believe them right away. But if they say, you know, I just left Best Buy and I was pulled over and, you know, I was treated X, Y, Z or I was followed around in the store while I was there. Then you're you know, you're not necessarily engaging in that part of, of the of that person's experience so i think listening and, and believing getting your head out of your ass that's that's going to be uh important and being willing to be uncomfortable and this might be the point where where a lot of uh of the breakdown happens is because we we don't want to be uncomfortable we want, we want to think that because i am not treating people that way or i'm not um using the n-word or you know all those all those things i'm not racist or you know i don't have racist beliefs but you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable and and look at the things that you might be doing that that your black friends could consider as racist you know uh i often will see things where um, and, and maybe this gets a little bit into the to the white supremacy um, or white supremacist mind mindset w- without intention, um, because there's there's right. still a lot of the narrative that is controlled. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, when when black people hear other people saying what is or isn't racist, you know, that's not that's not theirs to decide. And, and, and I think a little more listening and understanding and, and being willing to accept when someone points out something as racist, that's where the change is going to, going to happen. And you, you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable and, and, and it does start with learning about yourself and, and what, what role you're playing in that and, and having and being more mindful of of the of your actions, of the things you do and say, because you know, since all this has happened, I've had a number of friends who've written or, or called and said, you know, I don't I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. I want to support you. I want I want you to know I'm here for you. What can I do? And at the time, I didn't have an answer for them, and and I probably still don't have an answer. Um, because it's, it's really, at this point, it's really not about going out and doing something, even though the protests, I think we, we need those to continue, um, certainly, but it really starts with the person. And you've got to take some time to, to, um, to do some self-reflection and, and figure out where, where you lie in, in all that has happened and it's, and it's still happening. And, and that's, how we begin to break that change, break, break, break that, that cycle. I mean, so yeah, it, it really does come back to understanding the person, understanding themselves and, and being, 
a little more mindful about about how we live on a daily basis. Right, right. I mean, the fear that people feel when uh, some of these uh, hashtag kind of, of statements are, are put put out there. So hashtag white supremacy, hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag defund the police, hashtag all lives matter. It, it seems to me that, that those are words that, you know, people hear and it engenders mm-hmm. a very visceral yep. response, right? Just similar to seeing the, the video of, of a man being murdered right in front of us while in, in, in broad daylight in the street. It's a visceral reaction. And how individuals process that vary. You have the people who say things like, well, only, only white people can start this discussion or only people of color should, should feel um, uh, 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 betrayed by this. And it, 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 it really makes me wonder whether or not people are, are sitting with the discomfort that they feel. What do they mean by white? What did you just mean by white supremacist? Did you mean that everybody marches like they did when you were a child in the KKK? Right. I, I, I don't think so. Um, but I think that, that we have to acknowledge as a society that people do feel very threatened by these words and don't process information in the same way. Don't process um, uh, what, what is happening in society the same way. And we have to be understanding of that, but not allow them to use that as an excuse. I'm sure you've heard a ton of excuses. I mean, you, you articulated a couple of them. Well, this is not about you, but sitting there hearing people basically say racist things and then them turn to you and say, this is not about you. I mean, does that still happen even as a professional to you where you feel as though your culture and your heritage is just being sidelined because you don't fit the mold or their mold oh, in their head? Yeah, professionally, definitely um, that happens. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I even, I work in a profession that um, it is typically seen as very progressive. And, it, and I would say it is in many ways. Um, yes. I, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of really good stuff that happens out of, out of my profession, out of librarianship. But um, an example I'll, I'll give when it comes to, to race and, and perception of, of me. So in this area, we have two library schools, right? There's Chapel Hill and there's North Carolina Central. You know, they're what, 30 minutes apart from each other. Right. And it's always surprising to me when I meet someone and they ask me about library school, they always assume that I went to North Carolina Central. Now, let me qualify that by saying that North Carolina Central is a fantastic library school. I taught at that school. I've been invited to come back to teach. A lot of my staff went to that school. I didn't go to that school, but I went to Chapel Hill. But as, as soon as I say I went to Chapel Hill, it's like, oh, well, 
okay. And that that's nothing but race. Like, would you would you respond to a white person who told you they went to Chapel Hill that way? No, you you're, you're responding that to that about you responding to yes. me that way because I'm black and because you just assume I went to the historically black college and university for my library degree. And, you know, it's just right. And that's that's the kind of thing I, for me that I label as 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 white supremacy in a way is not about the KKK necessarily marching down down street of my hometown. It's that mindset and those assumptions of, of what black people should or shouldn't be doing or can or can't do. And you've already made up in your mind who I am, where, what I've done without even, without even getting to know me. You just base that solely on my own, this color of my skin. Right. And if, and yes. If, yeah. Yes. And if, and that is, is what is meant, but it's, 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 it's important, I think, that we have discussions like this so that that can be articulated because I believe, I, I know exactly, I could, I, could, I could see the scenario and I, I think that people who don't, who are not racists, I mean, there are many people who are not racist and who are horrified when you tell them something like that and they realize right. that they have done it, maybe not to you, but to someone. And that's the discomfort that they need to then own and sit with and do some analysis of, oh my goodness, this, I, I didn't, I, I just learned something from Terry. I just, I just learned something. And um, I, I wonder, and, and, and this is kind of a little bit off script, what that does to you mentally, Terry, like, how, 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 how do you, how do you recoup at the end of the day? Like, oh, what do you do to help manage that kind of constant level of stress that you're under as a person of color? I don't know if if that is something that I don't think I actively seek to manage it. I think it's 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 part of life. It's yeah. Uh, it's one of those yeah. It's just kind of one of those things that's there all the time. Um, I will yeah. say that it, it probably it it makes my bucket a lot more shallow. Um, in the sense that it, it doesn't, it probably, it doesn't take as much for me to get to my limit as it, it may someone else. Because I'm, because I'm already carrying a bucket that's half full. And, you know, that, that part may be hard to deal with. And it's, and again, that's probably because it is just daily life. It's just something I live with. And I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I know I, I haven't that part I haven't actively sought out how to how to deal with that because it is such a part of of my experience and my existence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting information for people to have. That 
that people of color and people who are perceived as mm-hmm. people of color in this country have this level of um, kind of, they have to develop a certain level of tolerance to deal with that. The offhand comments, the, the slights, the, the um, off-putting reactions. And, and it becomes that you're, yeah, you're almost numb to it. Yeah. You, you don't realize it, you know, like what, when you said you went to, when you went off to university and then looked back on your childhood, which I know was a happy childhood. You had a, you know, you, you had a successful high school career. You got into all the universities you wanted to, but, but you look back and you realize those points um, shaped you for good or for better or for worse into who you are. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, think about um, Tracy, my wife, who is, um, Mm -hmm is Caucasian and, and Latin American um, with, with many different varieties from the Latin American side. Uh, you know, she, to, <laughs> to just look at her walking down the street, you wouldn't pay much attention to her and you would probably just put her in white category. Uh, for someone who's paying attention, you, it's, right. it's obvious that that's not the case for her, but not only that has she had to deal with that, that dynamic, for herself now you know being married to a black person that's that's kind of three areas that she has she has to navigate because one one thing that we talked about early on when we started dating and because at this time we were living in Boone which you know there's a very low minority population there and I told her I was like you're going to have to be more mindful of everything you do because we're in a small town and you know, it's enough when people see us together, but what, what's going to happen the time that they see you out by yourself and remember, oh, that's the woman who's with this black dude. And, and that had to, that brought, yes. like that shook up her world, um, you know, even with things that she had to deal with as a, as a child growing, growing up. And then, you know, um, as later as a, as a young adult and, you know, before we, before we got together. So there's, there's all these different dynamics when it comes, but it, but to me, it all comes down to color. Cause that's, that's the first thing people see. They have, you know, they see her, they have no idea who or what she is because she even gets that question. Like, what are you? Uh, which I think is totally inappropriate. Um, but, you know, same for me, like when, when I moved, to this area of North Carolina, my skin is a lot lighter than a lot of black people here. So I'd get the question, are you both your parents black? My answer is always, well, you know, last yeah. time they went in the store and they were followed around, I'm pretty sure they're still both black. Um, but yeah, just, you know, the, the assumptions that we make just on people's appearance and, um, and, and really about people's, when it comes down to people's color, um, you know, which I'm, I know that you, you've dealt with the same thing as, as my, as my sister from another mister. Uh, I, yeah. I have dealt with it and it's always shocking to me, um, when, when it happens and, 
Um, it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I can give what I would consider to be an appropriate response because you are shocked when it, it happens that somebody judges you for nothing else but how they perceive what they perceive right. you to be in terms of your skin color, you know? Um, so um, being treated differently and it, 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 it is, it is always very um, humiliating. It's terrifying. It makes you angry. I think you run the gamut of emotions and I'm very light skinned like, like Tracy. Um, but I come from a, a world, a very different world, and it's, right. it's many colors. So, um, but this has been, I, 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 as always talking with you, I've al I always learn something new. My eyes are always open just a little bit more. And um, I want to thank you for being so open because it is not easy, I know, to to bring up issues of, of being treated differently because of your color. It, 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 it engenders that all of those feelings um, that you want to forget and put away the fear, the anger, the, the horror, the, the outrage. Um, and um, I hope we can continue. I know that the next step, in a podcast yes you're going to be interviewing me and i hope we can interview a number of other people who will um bring to light some of what is happening in today's world and uh we can get to know people and understand right. where they're coming from which is why yeah, yeah and i think you know i don't want to put all the all the pressure on on people who who are uh, are, are on non people of color, however I want to say that, because it's it's on everybody right. to to be a part of this conversation, and and we can't expect people to have greater understanding if we're not willing to be vulnerable ourselves and and put our experiences and our our thoughts and feelings out there for us all to wrestle with, because that's that's the only way it's going to get it get better. We, we can't just expect something of a, a group of people and say, you, you need to do better if, if we're not there at the table working through it as, as well. And, and, you know, I think hearing individuals um, experiences and, and, you know, and be able to able to talk openly about, about those things and how it makes you feel, how, how a situation could have been handled better that's that's where we're going to start to make progress and and again coming back to um the the individual taking ownership of their actions and their behavior and and really learning about where you know their where they fit into all of this and what they have contributed to the state of things and being more mindful about those things and and how you know, and maybe even giving people the tools on how they can do that, I think it's going to be important as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure to thank you very you. much. And I'm looking forward to my interview, my, my interviewing you soon. Okay, 
I'm looking forward to it as well. Speaking my truth, uh, it'll be a challenge, but uh, yeah. to, to contain right. it, that is, not to speak it, but to contain it. Um, and uh, I just want to say thank you again. It's, it's, right. it's a you. pleasure as always. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connect and Listen. So in this segment, we're going to continue our conversation about the current unrest in our country that was sparked by the murder of George Floyd back in May. And he was murdered by a police officer who was kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And the situation has, uh, has affected everyone in a lot of ways. And so I'm talking to different people to, to learn from them and learn about their experiences and, and try to get a better understanding of, of where things are in our country and if there's any hope for us as well. So today I have Miss uh, Jane Ellen Joyner with me. She is a nursing student who is passionate about social justice and equity. Her heritage is from the rural South, which has caused her to see firsthand the backwards and his ignorant connection to racism. She plans to use her power as a nurse to draw attention to many discriminatory practices and to help normalize mental health struggle, especially within the black community. And that is a area we really need a lot of help with. So Jane Ellen, thank you so much for being here. And I've been looking forward to our conversation. Um, I know you and I don't, don't know each other well. I know your, your mother, uh, well. she's been a teacher, a yoga teacher of mine. I've learned a lot from her over, over the years. And I also know that she probably has the, the biggest heart of anyone I've ever met. And I'm sure the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So yeah, thank you. go ahead. Thank you um, so much for having me. Um, yeah, she is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, she, she certainly is. Um, so, yeah, thank you for being here. Um, we'll go ahead and, and get started um, and, and get into to some of these issues that, are, that we're dealing with. So it, it, has been, uh, about, it has been three months ago since George Floyd was murdered. And so we've had a lot of protests around the country, around the world, and and many of them still continue today, even though we don't hear about a lot of them on, uh, on the news, but uh, they're still going on and, and they probably need to continue to, to keep the issue at the forefront. But could you talk a little bit about how this all has impacted you? Yeah, well, um, so it's been super eye-opening. Um, I've been to several protests in the Raleigh area um, especially that kind of first weekend that the protests started. Mm -hmm. And it's been really, it's a very hard to see, but it's very moving to see everyone like stand in solidarity for George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. But I, at the first day that I went to the protests in Raleigh, I, it was so eye-opening because we were peaceful. A few people threw like water bottles or something like that, but nothing that could really hurt someone. And we were met at the Capitol with police officers in riot gear and guns. And it was just insane to see like, you know, we're 
we're protesting police brutality and they meet us with police brutality. Right. So I really showed me that, you know, that it's scary and that police officers are, they're almost using this as a reason, I think, to be violent. Not all, but from what I saw. Right. So, yeah. so when you, when you encountered the police in their, in their right here, um, how did that change the, the mood of the group you were with? Because uh, yeah, you were saying it was a peaceful protest and, and then you're met with, with people who were in riot gear. Yeah, they definitely start. I mean, it started, it, it started to make it more aggressive and we were protesting we get there and they are all in riot gear so a group of us my mom's gonna kill me for saying this because it scares her but a group of us went and stood right in between the police officers and um, everyone else in the group just to use our privilege as a wall and I mean I'm standing there six feet away from this police all these police officers in riot gear with like these huge guns with rubber bullets and tear gassing us and pushing us down. And for just standing there chanting, holding signs, it's like, is this really what freedom is? Like, is this what this country is supposed to be? Um, and I just lost way so much respect. I mean, it, it really opened my eyes to see like how people feel seeing police officers on the daily. Right. Right. And, and we, we do know that there, there are good police officers. There's a lot of good um, police officers. I would probably say most of them are, um, you know, our, our challenge is the, the few bad ones and the positions they hold and, and the devastation that they cause, um, you know, and, and the police are charged with, with protecting us and, and I guess to an extent keeping, keeping order. Um, how, what would have been a better approach, do you think, for the police presence there? I mean, obviously the riot gear put everyone on edge and seeing the guns, um, you know, and I've, I've seen in some cities where there's protests, you see the officers who are out there and they're not armed at all. And some of the officers I've even joined in with the protesters. Um, so can you talk a little about um, what could have made that situation better for, for you and your friends while you were there? Yeah, I think what the main goal at that point when we saw them was for them to stand in solidarity with us and it's like, wow, we know there's a problem. We're going to stand with you guys and protect you instead of like show us exactly why we're fighting and what we're fighting for. It like, right. you know, if they walked with us, if they held signs, if they took off the riot gear, they wouldn't even look us in the eye. Mm. And right. they, I mean, some of them, I remember they looked like they were ready, like they would switch positions. So they would have fresh people coming. And it was like, these people were ready. It was really strange. It could have been fight or flight for them too. I'm sure that was a really scary situation for them, but for us with no weapons, nothing with all of these people lined up and all this protection, we were like, oh my gosh, you right. know, it was scary. Right. Yeah, I, I imagine, you know, it, it could 
be a scary situation for them, not knowing what to expect. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it is, it is our, our rights in this country to protest. Um, so we, we sh it, it's too bad that we're in the mindset that protest is, is equal to something negative and, and that it might result in violence. And of course, you know, there's many stories about violence that's been happening um, but usually when you really look into those situations, it's not people who are out peacefully protesting. It's, that's another segment that's, that's doing something, something else. Um, but you know, while we're talking about the, about the police and obviously with, with George Floyd's death, um, there, there have been a, a lot of people of color who've been killed by police officers. It, um, it is something that, that really is a fear among people of color, uh, especially men as well. But since George Floyd's death, this, this seems like something, that, it seems different to me. Um, and it seems more, it seems like it's more than, a, than just a moment because we've had situations in the past where someone has been murdered and you know there might be a protest for a day or so and then it dies off it's in the news for a day or two and then it dies off but this has continued and and it's it's making me and making a lot of people question whether is this really the turning point to be more of a movement uh so i want to get your thoughts on that um whether you think this is just kind of a, a blip or this or are we really going to see some change happening I am hoping that there's going to be some change. I think in certain places there have been, and I think this is really opening people's eyes to what's going on. Um, so I really do hope, but, you know, Breonna Taylor still hasn't been brought to justice, and I think that's a huge thing. Um, there are several people who have been killed, and it's like, yeah, maybe certain people are getting brought to justice, but not everybody. And I think until that happens, um, these protests are gonna keep happening. And so hopefully that really drives people to being brought to justice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I know in my Facebook feed and actually I think on Instagram every once in a while, I'll be scrolling through and someone will have posted, um, sorry to interrupt your scrolling, but Breonna Taylor's murderers still haven't been arrested and you know it's just kind of that and it's probably every other day or so i see that um and it's that it is surprising that that, that hasn't happened yet but um yeah and this this stuff gets gets pretty heavy quickly that's that's for sure um but i want to talk a, a little bit about your your background you mentioned you grew up in a, a rural area and, and and so did so did I, native North Carolinian. Uh, but growing up, um, what were your thoughts and perceptions about about race, about culture, and and then people of different colors in in general? Well, I was really lucky to have the mom that I had. Um, I grew up seeing all different cultures, races, had a mixture of friends, never really looked at anyone differently, but still coming from my background did hear racial slurs and didn't just even have 
I think I realized they were wrong, but I mean, you're young and you don't really know how to go about that and have the confidence to be like, hey, that's wrong. Um, and I remember being told by someone that I couldn't date outside of my religion or ethnicity. And I was pretty young. And I remember saying that if you don't love who I love, then you don't deserve to love me, which was pretty woke for the age. I think I was like 13. Mm-hmm. And now I look back on that and I'm like, wow, like, you know, I was looking at it, I think, as more how it affected me. But how can someone have those views and what are they contributing to society? So it's like I look at all of these things that happened when I was younger and I was just like, oh, yeah, that's just how they are. And it's like, no. And since I have spoken very loudly to all those people and right. educated them and made sure that they know that that is not OK around me. So, but it, it's hard growing up and not really knowing what was wrong. Right. You know? Right. Because that, that's your reality, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and especially if it's, if it's people that you otherwise look up to and respect. Um, but, you know, when it comes to issues like this, you know, maybe their, their views don't feel comfortable to you or things that they say. Um, you know, I, I, of course, had a lot of similar experiences growing up in a rural area. Um, and it, it is, it, it can be, you know, and even for me, like people, uh, my peers I went to, to school with, and especially, again, since this issue, since the murder of George Floyd, you know, a, a lot of people starting to, sh- to show their colors, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that are coming out about people that that were true that we either just ignored back then or are just accepted for whatever reason but um we know we don't have have to continue to do that um and and it sounds like you you're you're taking it upon yourself to do what's needed which is is start to educate people and and call them on these on these issues so what what has been some responses uh that you've gotten uh in, in talking to family, friends, or, or whomever? Um, well, I'm sorry. I, a lot of response I get is, you know, educating about privilege because I don't, you know, I think I need to use my privilege to educate. So, you know, realize that you have white privilege. And mm-hmm. the biggest pushback I get is I've had a hard life. And that doesn't say, like, I don't want to invalidate that you haven't had a hard life. But there's a difference between, you know, having a hard life because of different circumstances. Like we didn't, I didn't grow up having to, to learn to put my hands up if the police come at me or not wear a hood or, you know, certain things. And they didn't either that other people do have to teach their kids. So I'm like, those are the kinds of things that we need to, you know, realize and not just judge someone or have or not let your daughter date a black guy or something like that, you know, that's a huge thing. And I think, you know, people just need to realize that they're doing that and then need to stop and realize that they're no better than other people. Right. Yeah. And you do hear that argument a lot that, um, you know, well, I've, I've had a tough life or no one's given me anything and, you know, the thing that people need to realize is, you know, you, you can't compare that to, 
um, the things that someone experiences because of the color of their skin, because a, a black or brown person, wherever they go, you know, their colors with them all the time. And, you know, if you take someone, um, you know, Caucasian person, whatever they're going through, you're not going to immediately see that, you know, it's, um, yeah. or going into a store, it's, it's just a different experience. And, and I think that's usually that's an area that people really fail to, to, to understand that. And, um, and I know there are people who, who don't believe racism still exists. Uh, they, they think that ended in 1964. Uh, it obviously it didn't because we probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation now if it had. Um, so have you, have you witnessed any, um, of your, or your friends who've experienced, uh, any racism? Have you been, have you witnessed those situations or situations you're yeah. talked about with you yeah unfortunately I have um like like the example I said people not wanting their daughters to date black men that's a huge thing and it's like you know I've seen that a lot more than you should have and then like one of my friends um he's black and he was driving my car on a road trip and he was driving completely normal nothing wrong and he a cop was next to us and then pulled us over and I was like, oh my gosh, we were in like a rural area. And I said, or they asked him if he had been drinking. And it was 11 a.m. We explained that we were driving back to North Carolina from Ohio. And mm -hmm. they kept asking, have you been drinking, sir? And he was like, no, it's 11 a.m. And I'm on a road trip. And they just kept giving pushback. And it was scary because we didn't know what could happen. But he, did, he was not driving wrong. Like, there was nothing wrong. Mm. yeah and yeah yeah that's that's uh, unfortunately a, a common a common situation uh i've mentioned uh in other other episodes talking to people about you know my my dad had to give me the talk when i got my driver's license um you know even to the point of telling me to you know don't stop for gas at night you know always make sure before nighttime you get your gas so you don't have to stop somewhere and be out by yourself and you know and then if the police stop you this is what you do this is what you don't do um that's that's pretty heavy stuff for a 16 year old to have to carry but it is yeah. um it's necessary to have those uh, those conversations it, it's really sad that you that it has to be explained what to do if that happens to you and it's not explained don't do that to other people Mm -hmm. And I think that is a huge thing to check your privilege when you're parenting and say, hey, like, you know, this behavior is not okay. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And, just to defend yourself. Right. And, you know, now as, as everybody are having more conversations about race, um, you know, there's there's the idea behind being an anti-racist like what it takes to be an anti-racist because it's one thing to not be racist but what what's really needed is for people to be anti-racist kind of you know situations you're explaining and, and talking with your family and friends and explaining things like that that's what it's going to take and even if it's one person at a time um 
what what are your thoughts kind of around that that idea because of being an being anti-racist kind of taking it a step further where you you're actually standing up against things that you see are wrong or or you know things that are said yeah I think that is very important because a lot of people say you know oh just ignore or um, it's not their business but then you're just letting people get away with this behavior and letting people hurt other people and so it's really important to just educate say if you're somewhere and you see something that's going on step in and use your privilege hey man that's not right like you know we don't say that word like the n-word I've had to say to several people I'm not comfortable with using that word white people or you know but I'm like I'm uncomfortable you saying that word especially if it's to someone else because say someone else says something then they could be hurt by it so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to just use privilege and educate instead of ignore right yeah you mentioned the the n-word I was I was thinking um one thing you hear is um you call somebody on using that they'll say well black people say that to each other um and they and they do and of course it's you know, in a lot of our music and those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, among Black people, I think the way we see it as, um, you know, it's kind of like you can talk about your family, but no one else can. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been around Black friends who use that word as, and, and it can be used as a term of endearment sometimes, um, unfortunately. But have you been around friends who've used that word? And, and what are your feelings around that when when you have those experiences yeah I mean honestly I have friends of all races and every and you know a lot of my black friends say it to each other and I just know that's not my place to say y'all can you know I think they're trying to to change the narrative of the word so Mm -hmm. they have control over it which is fine like it's not my position to say anything negative about a black person using the word but anyone else I get really uncomfortable I say something I have said something to family friends strangers <laughs> I, just because it's not appropriate and some people are going to get you know the wrong people could get offended and then that person could get hurt for even saying it you know right yeah it's just not appropriate there are so many other words to use it's really not hard to not use it right yeah you, you do have to make an effort <laughs> to do that uh, sure. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, of words and terms that that can have multiple meanings uh especially you know in our time now we we're seeing a lot of these hashtags pop up defund the police you know of course there's the black lives matter um you know, I've even seen hashtag white supremacy, uh, privilege, all those, all those things. And I know for, for a lot of people, when they, when they hear those terms, um, their mind probably thinks the worst. So let's take Black Lives Matter, for example. Uh, you've probably seen on social media, all the pushback about all lives matter or, or in support of the police, blue lives matter and missing the point and saying that black lives matter doesn't you know that doesn't exclude everybody else 
it's just, it's a statement of what it is and trying to get people to see that Black Lives Matter as well as everyone else's. Uh, so let's talk about about some of these and what they might mean to you. And, and let's just start with the Black Lives Matter. So what what are your thoughts on on that and, you know, kind of a deeper meaning of it for you? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's complicated, but it's also as simple as it sounds. Like, Black Lives Matter, you know? Like, if you're saying all lives matter, you're saying Black Lives Matter. And I don't think that people understand that they're like, oh, it takes away from my ego. I matter. And it's like, yes, but, you know, Black Lives are the ones who are being lost right now. Right. So, that's who we're focusing on because they need to step up with systemic racism with all of these things you know the country isn't or was built by them but not for them you know mm -hmm. so it's like we need to change we need to change the system and so it's equal so everyone has equal opportunities and yes that means everyone matters but right now everyone's not the priority or you know white people aren't the priority it's about black lives Right. So I try to explain that to people when they say all lives matter. And I'm like, yes, all lives do matter. So black lives matter. <laughs> That's the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, another one I find interesting, too, is um, when people talk about white supremacy, because uh, a lot of times that that brings to mind, um, you know, images of the Klan or neo-Nazis or cross burnings and those kinds of things. Um, I know for me, when I, when I think about it, those things do come up because I uh, had a lot of experiences of seeing the Klan march in my hometown, unfortunately. Um, that was just in the like early eighties or so. So it hasn't been that, hasn't been that long ago in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but what what are your thoughts around that that term? I am so sorry. I, you cut out for a second. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, and I was talking about white supremacy. Um, yeah. I wanted to know like what what does that bring to mind when you hear that term? Um, it's scary. It brings fear. Um, just the fact that people think that they're so much better just because of the skin tone, their skin tone. It's insanity to me. Mm -hmm. um, I am like, people get scared by Black Lives Matter. I don't understand that at all. White supremacy is so much scarier. Like, it's just uncomfortable. It's hate. It's terrorism, you know? Right. It, it should bring fear to people. Yeah, there's yeah, there's there's definitely that that and 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 the other part of the white supremacy that that I see also is in situations where white is always the default. Um, you know, you might even take a survey and you see people listed as or, or options listed as white and non-white. Mm -hmm. You know, like what what does that mean? You know. Um, or, or even even when we started having the emojis on our our cell phones, you know, for a long time, all the only option you had was kind of the yellow looking hand or, you know, whatever. 
Um, so now you have different, different colors. Uh, but for me, that's, that's one that I, I think that is so prevalent in our society that people just don't, don't see. And, and it's, you're reminded of it when, when you do go to do something as simple as fill out a survey and you have to fill out that you're non-white, you know, so yeah. at that level of, of supremacy. And, and I think also when we talk about systemic racism, that's always, that's also uh, controversial because people don't think that exists. Those are the kind of things that, that black and brown people are dealing with every day and are trying to bring attention to, the, to make those kinds of changes. Um, and it's not about black and brown people trying to take over the world. It's just wanting to be treated equal like we are supposed to be. Um, for sure. But you know, you, we, we could go on about that issue for, for on for forever. Um, we talked early a little bit about the police. Uh, of course, you know, there was big movement about defunding the police. Um, Let's, let's talk about that that for a minute. And, you know, I, I would be interested in hearing your, your thoughts on that idea. Yeah, I think um, defund the police sounds scary to a lot of people. They're like, well, who are you going to call in an emergency? Well, the point is to prevent, you know, certain crimes from happening. So like reallocating that money to mental health, that should be taken so much more seriously. Social work. Um, getting people the things that they need, healthcare. Um, a lot of crimes stem from just not having the resources and knowing better. So, you know, instead of enforcing and paying these police officers to go and you know, to prosecute and, you know, get people for committing crimes, let's stop the crimes and help have a better society in general. Right. But people think that that just means, you know, oh, we're, we're not going to have any police, but it's just about prevention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think most people, they, when they use the term, don't, don't truly mean defund the police and get, get rid of them. There probably are a few people who feel that way, but um, I, don't, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's what we need and, and what people really mean. I know here in Durham, we had for several weeks people who were camped out in front of the police headquarters just up the street from me. And um, I think they were arrested a couple of times for violations of different things, but they've since moved their, their camp somewhere out into East Durham. Um, but I, I, was, I was really amazed at how long they stayed out there because the weather was really hot and it was raining a lot. And so they were, they were certainly committed to the calls. Uh, but if you drive by the Durham Police Department now, still in, in really big, yellow letters on the street they have defund painted out on the street and then two blocks down the street is the health and human service building they have fund written in big yellow letters on the on the street so just a, probably a reallocation of resources or that's i think is what people are really looking for in this situation yeah and i definitely think that but also dismantling a system that was like not meant or it was meant to oppress and not help right. I think like the prison system and things like that so I think yes police officers are necessary for certain things but fixing that as a whole too um like tr more training 
Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that the you it takes more hours to become like a cosmetologist than it does to become a police officer. Right. And that's insane. You know, someone who is supposed to be or who's carrying around a gun. I think there needs to be a lot more training or, you know, just classes in general for critical thinking skills. Right. Yeah. Training, training and education, you know, to give, to give them the tools to handle situations that they find themselves in quite often that don't require any use of force. You know, um, I, I know like responding to domestic issues is something that, that, that can be very dangerous thing for, for a police officer. Um, but a lot of times you need somebody with skills who can deescalate things in those, in those situations. And yeah, and you're right. When, when people's tensions and tempers are already flaring, if someone shows up and they've got a gun on their hip, that may, that may not be the best thing, uh, in that, in that moment. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. So, um, I have, I've been saying throughout this and looking at, the people who are out protesting, um, you know, I've noticed there there are people from from all different races and cultures. But one common thread that I see among a lot of the protesters is that it's younger people who are out protesting, and um, it, it's been my my thought that that's the generation that's going to change us, and. You know, in other areas of our life, there's, uh, and I'm assuming you're probably in the millennial generation. Is that correct? Well, I'm, I don't even know. I'm Gen Z or millennial. I was born in 1996, so it says both, but I'm proud to be either, so. can be seen as frustrating because their work styles are different, that kind of thing. But I think you're onto something with that as well. But uh, I've noticed that there's a lot of young people out protesting. And not that you can speak for, for everybody, but can you give some insight on the generation's views of, of race compared to how you see older Yeah, so um, I think my generation has seen a lot on Twitter and Snapchat of how these protests are going compared to how other generations or older generations will watch the news and see how they push that narrative. And it's really made us upset. We see this, we see, I mean, the amount of people, unfortunately, I've seen die on videos online. It's crazy what you can just post and see, and there's no other way to look at it other than police brutality. And so I think we're just kind of fed up. We're sick of cops and racist people be able to get away with things. And so we're just here to stand up and push for and fight for what's right. So hopefully we can kind of push some of those dated views because it's 2020, it's time to grow and you know learn. Right. All right. What um, if, if you could offer some advice to uh, 
I guess I'm considered kind of a middle-aged person at this point. I'm, I'm about to be 45 years old. Um, what what advice could you give people my age, people older uh, in this time as far as trying to, to move us forward? Um, I think, and I don't want to say get your get your news from Twitter because that's probably not the right thing to say but looking a little deeper than exactly what the news is saying and I hate that that's how I feel but I've seen clips put on the news that's like half of the video and I saw the video originally on Twitter and I see the whole thing and it's completely different once you get the whole picture right um and I think like I think one thing older generations for me see as, you know, the riots and they're like, oh, you know, that's dangerous or the looting, but that's not the group as a whole. And it's, it's bigger than that. A life is more important than an object. Mm-hmm. Stuff from Target is not as important as the lot, like the black lives being lost. Right. And I'm sure you know that, and I think other people do, but I think that that's the thing that, you know, people are like, oh, they're tearing down the city. Well, I'd rather tear down a city than, or, or a city being torn down than, you know, a brother or a sister be killed. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the, the George Floyd situation, that, that all started because he allegedly had a counterfeit $20 bill. Yeah. Yeah. And in him losing his life over that, I mean, essentially, essentially, it was saying that his his life wasn't worth a fake twenty dollar bill. Yes. And I think that that I can't speak for as a whole, but I know some people I've spoken to, um, you know, some people just are looting to, you know, get away with it. But other people are like, hey, this is not as important as a life. Mm hmm. And they're trying to get that across, but it's kind of blurred lines. And I think older generations are that turns them off to the protest. Right. But just trusting, you know, younger generations and not thinking, oh, they have nothing better to do. Well, this is what's really important to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, that's that's going to be what saves us. I keep I keep saying that, and and as older people, we do have to listen, and stop being so set in our ways with with things. Um, well, bef- before we go, I I want to not going to ask you who you're voting for in November, but um, that's at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. We just finished the Democratic National Convention. I think the Republican Convention is next week. I believe it is. That'll be interesting to watch um, or at least see the highlights of anyway. Um, and I'm sure you're going to vote and yes, for probably, sure. yeah, probably vote early. And, you know, we got to pay attention to these down ballot races as well because, uh, you know, they affect our lives as, as much. Um, what are, what are your friends saying about the upcoming election? Um, well, I think, some people I've spoke to want, you know, to vote third party, but I think for the most part, we're all, I don't want to say suck, sucking it up and voting for Biden, but 
mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much we do not want Trump to win and we're going to do whatever it takes for him not to. I think a lot can change if I, I don't think much will change if he's voted, but I think Biden might be able to change a little bit, but we're all voting. I told all my friends, I'm like, y'all got to vote and they know. So I think our generation is really going to go to the polls and vote. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a, a huge, huge turnout. At least that's that's what I'm hoping for anyway. But, um, yeah, it, it's interesting that the the way things are now and, you know, Bernie Sanders, I think, had a very good run this time for, for the nomination. And, you know, obviously it, it didn't work out this time. But um, it, it would probably be really tough to to go from what we are currently experiencing to Bernie Sanders you know I think that's coming and I think that's the direction we need to be going in where the focus is on taking care of people instead of money and profits being the focus of everything um you know and, and maybe this what I hope will end up being the Biden presidency will be the bridge to getting us there um and, and I hope people aren't aren't going to stay home because they don't want to vote for Biden, because the alternative. Well, you know, you know, the other person who's running, but also every person who doesn't go and vote for Biden is essentially voting for the current president. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if you're you're probably familiar with um, the the congresswoman from New York, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I love her. Yeah, AOC as she's affectionately known. Uh, there's also there's a documentary about her and the um, other female candidates when she was uh, running for office back in uh, 17, 18. There's a documentary on Netflix that's really good if you haven't seen that. Um, oh, I, the, I haven't. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, I'll, uh, the name of it escapes me. Um, I'll, I'll look that up and send it to you. But that was really good. So it was kind of a behind the scenes of of her entire campaign up to the night of the primary when she, when she won the, the primary. But, um, you know, she, she endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders at the convention this week and um, which I expected that to be the case, but, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to see, to see her and, 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 you know, where she's coming from against the, Democratic establishment, and and how radical the d- Democrats are seen in general compared, you know, from the current administration, just kind of lumping all Democrats into this radical basket. I I, I guess I, I could say, and and then when you dissect it and look within the Democratic Party, how divided it is, because there's 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 these establishment, and if we're honest, you know, even our our sole brother president we had he's part of it because he wouldn't have gotten there if he if he wasn't um so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out but i i think she's she's on to something good and i think she's she's in heading in the right direction and i i'm hoping you know this next administration that comes in that's that's going to be our bridge to to getting the country going where where it needs to Yes, I'm really hoping she runs when she's eligible. 
yeah. because I will go and campaign for her. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if we don't see her on a on a national ticket at, at some point. That would that would be something. Um, but we but, definitely do need a bridge. I think some people are very. Uh, some people call, say that she doesn't know what she's talking about, but she just has such a forward way of thinking that their mind just isn't like comprehending what she's saying. Right. And, and she's also still speaking from a very real experience because you, when you watch the documentary, you'll see if she was working in a bar, you know, and she, she's coming in and, you know, she's scooping ice and getting the bar set up and all that stuff. Um, she, she went from that life to Congress and, I don't think anybody else on Capitol Hill had done that. You know, they, yeah. they had a, probably a pretty comfortable life already before they got there. And her experience is, is the experience of the average American. Yeah. And she's gotten a lot of backlash for that, which is very strange mm -hmm. because she just had to work to, to go to the school she went to. She even posted an, um, an Instagram story saying that this is the first time she's like had dental insurance ever. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I want someone like that fighting for health care and, you know, everything. I want them to be on my side because they know what it's like to be an average American. Right. Right. I remember when when she was first elected, there were there were some. uh members of Congress who were making comments about, I, I guess, she, I mean, I'm sure she was very upfront about it, that she at the time couldn't afford an apartment in D.C. to come there to go to, to do her job in Congress. I mean, I'm sure she can now, but, you know, she hadn't she probably hadn't gotten her first uh, congressional paycheck at that point. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what the, that's the reality of what most people are dealing with. And um and she's taking that experience and, and trying to make some change to help people. For sure. Yeah. She is amazing. I stand her, as my generation says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she she is something else. Uh all right, Jane Ellen, this is this has been really good, really insightful. Um I, I appreciate you you sharing your thoughts and you know, this 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 can be some sticky topics, but I think we, we've got to talk about these things. And, um, you know, that's the only way we're going to really connect and, and get to know each other and understand each other and, and try to work together to, to move things forward. So, so I really appreciate it. And um, any, any other last thoughts you would like to share before we go? Um, I just go out and vote, y'all. Yes. <laughs> Do vote. Absolutely. Too many people died for that right to do it. Yes, it's so important. Your vote counts. It does. Every, every single one. All right. So on that note, we'll get out the vote and um, we'll, we'll keep pressing on and hopefully things are going to turn around soon. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.